Father, we just thank you this morning, God, that we can rest in the promise of the cross, in the promise of what you've done for us on the cross, Lord. God, we're thankful that there is an assurance there, Lord, that when we know you, God, the peace that rests there within us, Lord, because, God, that what you put there, God, we're so thankful for what you've done. God, we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful that we're able to gather as your church body and worship you. And we pray that as we lifted you up this morning, God, that you were honored and you were glorified in it. God, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts this morning as we hear your word. God, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's say together the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Amen. Hopefully that's becoming part of your walk that you're realizing as time goes by that those priorities is what carries us through, his word, his spirit, and his people ministering and being his hands, his feet, his ears, and being his vessel of blessing. We need God's people. You probably have a few friends that once again, have another reason why they're not open to hearing about Jesus, the gospel, the good news. News media, comedians alike, love it when a preacher sends out on television or social media that God has told him that he needs a $54 million jet so that he can go preach. Now, let me give you how I think is a good way to handle that. First of all, if the Lord did indeed tell him that, that's God's business. And God has more than $54 million. And if God has indeed told him and others that, then he'll provide it and it will be used for what God wants. If God has not told him that, then God will deal with him with that. And that'll happen. That will just take place. Now, here's something else that you can share with your friends. This is the truth. This is the skinny. 90% of all gospel preachers today went to church. They either walked, they rode a bicycle, they took public transportation, they drove an older vehicle. Some drove a new vehicle. But clearly, 99.9% of all gospel preachers do not ride in jets. Now, when they do ride in a jet, normally they're stuck back in coach. Most gospel preachers ride coach. Those who are blessed by some real loving church members might got a bump up to premium economy because of the graciousness. And this preacher really enjoys premium economy. So think about that when you have a few extra dollars. And if you've really been blessed by some faithful givers and they just want to say thank you to the preacher for his preaching ministry and their thankful thoughts, business class would be just wonderful especially on the sardine trip to Cambodia. Just a few thoughts. Now, just share with your friends 
Most preachers are passing a church with less than 100 people. 90% of all the churches in America have under 100 people in attendance. Most of the preachers are struggling to make ends meet. That's the truth. There are a few that are in larger churches that have, that, that have large houses and large budgets and their income makes them one of the one percenters. But most of the gospel preachers, I would be willing to say 99% of all the gospel preachers in the world are not like that. And so you can help filter some of the misinformation that people have because they all think that all preachers are like that. And it's just not the truth. It's not the truth. But the news media and the comedians never talk to that guy. They never talk to the pastor that's at the church in, in uh, Wink, Texas. You know, the guy that's pastoring today in Van Horn or the, the lucky one that gets the pastor in Alito today. All right, they never call me for information. I wonder what. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 28. Moving along. Now, primarily we're talking about King David, but you've got to add Saul in the mix. The lessons that Saul provides for us, they're too valuable to skip over. And so 1 Samuel 28 is one of those good ones, I think. It says in verse 1, about that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. Over and over and over. It never ends. The Philistines and Israel. It never ends. The Palestinians and Israel. The Jordanians and Israel. The Egyptians and Israel. Still goes on today. And so once again, it just says, about that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, remember, David is with the Philistines now because he believes it's the very best thing he can do. And this protects him from Saul. He says to him, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Remember, this is against his own people. And David agrees and says, very well, now you will see for yourself what we can do. He's very uh, proud of his 600 men, his special forces that have been trained and guided by him. Now, it repeats. Now, remember we said when, when Samuel died, there was not much else about him in Scripture. And here's one of those brief times that he is mentioned again. Meanwhile, Samuel had died. And all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. So not much again. Now look what it says in the next part of verse 3. And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums, necromancers, and those who consult the spirits of the dead. So all the tarot card readers, all the mind readers, all those uh, future tellers that are lined up in different places. Saul gathered them all together and he, he got rid of them. He sent them away. He said, we're not going to allow anyone to speak to the dead in Israel. And, and they got rid of them all. 
that's a very good thing to do. Okay? Very good thing. Astrology and all those other things, it's a very good thing to stay away from. It says in verse 4, The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. Frantic with fear. You ever seen frantic with fear? You ever had a fear that's frantic? I mean, just overwhelmed with fear, controlled by fear. It's just, you just, it's like you're just carried away with fear and you can't reach out there and pull it back. Well, that's how Saul is. Saul is out of control with fear when he sees the Philistine army. Oh no, what are we going to do? This is the end. We won't survive. We won't make it. Nothing is going to work out. Then it says, he asked the Lord what he should do. So that's Saul. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him. The Lord heard him, but he refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. So all the medians that Saul had, that he could gain insight from the Lord, have now completely been removed from Saul. He has no line to God. The phone line has been disconnected. He can't call God. He has no guidance. Samuel is dead. Before he would go see Samuel. And Samuel had good communication with God and heard God's voice. And now God's voice, God's instructions for Saul is completely dried up. Now what does he do? Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. Isn't that amazing? The same guy that got rid of all the mediums now finds himself between a rock and a hard place and he says to his advisors, go find me a woman who can speak to the dead for me. Now wait a minute, Saul. You made a good choice when you got rid of all the mediums and now because you're between the rock and the hard place, you want a medium to come and, and speak to the dead for you. Here's one of the lessons that we can learn from Saul. Saul is unstable in all his ways. For God's sakes, if you're unstable, come to terms with that. Realize you're unstable. Realize that the decisions you make are as as far away from reason and reasonableness as Saul makes. Think about it. Get rid of all the mediums. Then when you're in a bad way, go find the medium. One extreme to another. One extreme to another. Good decisions and then bad decisions. If your life is full of good decisions and bad decisions... 
and it's from one extreme to another, you're unstable. And in James chapter one, the Lord gives us insight into why that is so. James chapter one, verse five. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Now the wisdom would keep Saul from going from one extreme to another, a good choice to a bad choice. And, and the, the crazy thing about Saul is now Saul is building a track record of nothing but bad decisions. And that's typically the way that works. The more good choices you make, the more good choices are fueled. The more bad choices you make, the more bad choices you make. And you start down that road. He says here, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Do not waver. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's the definition of Saul. Saul is unstable. Saul is like a wave of the sea. You know, you can go to the ocean and it can be very calm. And then an hour later, a storm brews in and the ocean is just out of control and the waves are unstable. That's Saul. That's how he is. And it's because he is not fully and solely dependent upon God. He's listening to other people. He's listening to his mind, which is misleading him. He's listening to his own heart that keeps on making poor choices. He is controlled by fear. He is controlled by what other people think of him. He is controlled by popular opinion. Saul is like the politician that never is firm in his convictions. He's always listening to the polls to the polls. I heard the story of a preacher that would start his staff meeting every Monday morning with this. What are they saying about us? Man, can you imagine how horrible that is? I promise you our staff meetings don't start with what are they saying about us? I mean, what are they saying about us? It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too loud, it's not loud enough. He preached too long. He didn't preach long enough. I wish he'd get back to the New Testament. He's, I, I can't stand all these Old Testament things. What are people saying about us is no way to go forward. And that's how Saul is. Saul is a poor politician. He's a poor leader. He's like a wave. He's unstable in all his ways. Are you unstable in all your ways? The answer is in James, fully with all of you, believe 
God. Trust God. Be obedient to God. And, and the, the, the pattern of instability, the pattern of being unsettled, the pattern of making poor choice after poor choice will be changed. But Saul is unstable in all his ways. Now, in this verse of Scripture, we also see that Saul finds himself separated from God. Verse 6. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him. He heard him, but he refused to answer him. Now, the reason why the Lord refused to listen to him is because of his sin. Because of his disobedience. We're going to read that in just a moment. But he's cut off. He's separated from God. Now, people who are unbelievers, people who are dead in their sin, people that are lost without faith in Christ, they are separated from God in relationship. They do not have a relationship with God. Also, believers, people that have been saved, people that know him, part of God's family, have eternal life. They are also separated from God when disobedient, when they are in sin. But it's not relationship that they're separated from, but it's fellowship that they're separated from. God refuses to hear when we are unstable in all our ways. God refuses to hear, it's, it's, it's clearly in his word, when his people are not confessing their sin, they're not repentant, they're living the way they want to live, and they're not concerned with God. Separated because of disobedience and sin. You may be going through a time of crisis and it seems like God just never hears your prayers. The place to begin to see what's going on and discover is confession, repentance, obedience, coming to terms with God. But, but Saul needs a word from the Lord but because of the sin in his life, the Lord refuses to hear him. The Lord refuses to hear him. And so Saul then says to his advisors in verse 7, Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, There is a medium at Endor. You may have heard that as the witch of Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead, why are you setting a trap for me? 
But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now, this is pretty interesting. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me, you are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Now, listen to this. Samuel asked Saul, why have you disturbed me by calling me back? This witch of Endor called Samuel from the grave. Call Samuel from the grave. Now, it is the mindset of many, many believers that Ouija boards are harmless, that tarot cards are harmless, that going and viewing an astrologer and hearing your forecast is harmless, that entertaining these mystical things are harmless, nothing to it. Just a little fun, just a little help. Read your horoscope every day. Nothing wrong with that. It's just someone's words. Well, it says here that this woman contacted Samuel from the dead. Boy, we are not to talk with the dead. We're not to entertain those kinds of things. I think we should be real careful, uh, first of all, believing that those kind of things are harmless. Are harmless. To answer Samuel's question, Saul says, because I am in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I have called for you to tell me what to do. Now, here we see one of the clear signs of an unstable man separated from God. And here it is. They really don't want to hear the truth. They really don't want to hear the truth about their life. When someone is, in, is unstable, they are mostly defensive. They are mostly spinning their story. They are mostly only wanting to hear things that they want to hear. That's a clear sign that someone is unsteady, unstable, wavering, separated from the Lord. No firm foundation. No firm foundation. 
Samuel replies, why ask me since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord, listen to verse 17. The Lord has done just as he said he would. There you go. The Lord has done just as he said he would. Saul, the Lord told you what was up. The Lord told you that because you refused to carry out his command with the Amalekites, he was done with you, and you were not going to be the leader of Israel anymore, and he had raised up another, and that new king is going to be David. The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. Verse 19, what's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Now, the only thing that is reasonable to think about Saul is how he got to where he is, is Saul did not believe God would do what he said he would do. And, and, and that's true of everyone that you know that's unstable, that's separated from God, either in relationship or fellowship as a believer, a backslidden Christian, a carnal Christian, if that is in case a possibility, a, a, a person that has heard God's words but lives their life like God's words will not come to pass. They will not happen. That God will not do what he said he'd do. They must not believe what the Lord has said. They must not believe it. How, how in the world could anyone hearing God's word and, and having a belief in God and, and know that God has said, this is forbidden. This is not to happen. This is what take place. Your sin will be punished. And to live life as though nothing is going to happen to you. Must not believe that God will do what he says he will do. Man, that's an important lesson. That's something that Saul missed. That's something that, that I, I believe Saul really, really missed. I can't help but think that things could have been a lot better for Saul if in the course of this life, in the course of his leadership, if he would have just backed up and said, God, I realize I sinned against you and I sinned against your command and I realize that you have now chosen David to lead and, and I am surrendered to you from this point on and I, I, I lay it down to you. But he never does that. He holds on. He holds on. In Luke chapter 6, 
The words of Jesus applies in this situation, I think. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. This is a good question that Jesus asked them, and he's asking us today. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you keep on calling me Lord? Why do you keep on saying that you believe in me? Why do you keep on worshiping me? Why do you keep on singing songs that says that you have surrendered me, but you don't do what I say? Now, Saul kept on calling the Lord, Lord, but he didn't do what he said. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. So there are three things here at work. Someone comes to me, listens to me, and then follows what I say. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm again because it is well built. Saul is not well built. He's weak and weak and weak. He is of the flesh. He is carnal. He is unstable. He is wishy-washy. He is fragile. He has a huge ego with nothing underneath. His foundation is on shifting sand. Jesus says, but anyone who hears and obeys, and, uh, excuse me, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And so no foundation for Saul. Jesus said that's the way it'll be. Jesus said, if you keep on making poor choices, if you keep on walking in disobedience, your house will implode when problems come. And that is the life of Saul. What's more, the Lord will hand you over to the army of Israel, over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat, Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He couldn't handle the truth, could he? He was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman and urged him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been fattening calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors, and they ate it. Then they went out into the night. They went out in the night with the understanding that tomorrow would be his last. Tomorrow would be his last. Now, 
I think that it's a good lesson for us to heed today that Saul was unstable in all his ways. And we need to ask ourselves, are we unstable? Correction needs to be made. Repentance needs to happen. I think it's a good lesson for us to see that Saul is separated from the Lord because of his sin and disobedience. You need to ask yourself, am I separated from the Lord? Am I separated from the Lord for salvation, for relationship? Am I separated from him? Do I, do I not have fellowship with him because of my sin and my disobedience? I think that we can learn from Saul that he was on real fragile ground, weak foundation because he didn't do what the Lord said. He didn't believe the Lord would do what he said. And he was caught into a religious system of calling him Lord and not doing what he says. But when you see all of Saul's life, and you pull it together, there's one thing I think is really clear, and it shouts the loudest to me. Saul is more concerned with holding on to his reign as king than he is with eternity. With eternity. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, beginning in verse 24, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Look in verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, that's what Saul has done. That's who Saul is. That's why his ego was so strong. He was holding on to his life. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Saul was holding on to his life. He was holding on to his destiny. He was holding on to his legacy. He was protecting his turf. You have heard leaders say, I did not make these decisions because I wanted to protect my legacy. I did not do the right thing in this particular situation because I knew what the fallout would be. I, I didn't stand up for what was right and follow my convictions because I knew it would hurt the giving to my library when I'm done. That's like Saul. I wasn't willing to do the right thing because of how it would make me look. Holding on to life, holding on to our turf, protecting our turf, protecting the reputation that we think we have. Holding on, holding on, going to make it better, going to work it out. Going to live in such a way that God will be pleased with me? Absolutely no. Not going to happen. So to those who are hanging on to their life, this is the words of Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And Saul, listen, Saul. Listen, Saul. 
What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Isn't it interesting how we have been deceived to live only for now and not for forever? An average life today is 70 years. I got 11 and two months to go. That's it. That's it. Compared to eternity? You mean to tell me that you're holding on to your life now, Saul? Your kingdom now? Forfeiting an eternity? Oh, these words of Jesus are true. What benefit is it? He could have said it this way. How foolish it is to gain the whole world and then lose your soul. Gain the whole world. I wonder how much money is in the world. I don't have a clue. It's quadrillions in it. Lots of money. Lots of money. I wonder how much power is in the world. Unbelievable. I wonder how much influence in the world. There's no telling. It's crazy how much influence in the world. There's no telling what it would be like to gain the whole world, but it's only short-lived. Gain the whole world, Saul, and lose your soul? Is that you? Is that your situation? You are absolutely full set on gaining your world. But the result is you're losing your soul. Help us to understand these words today and may your spirit work. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.